Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this was a wonderful conversation with a remarkable athlete, academic, and author, Alistair Brownlee. This special edition is in two parts, and in part one, we discuss Alistair's new book, Relentless, Secrets of the Sporting Elite. Over the last four years, Alistair has been on a journey to learn from the very best, talking to elite figures across multiple sports as well as leading thinkers and scientists to just understand what enabled these remarkable individuals to rise to the very top and to push the limits of human capability in their relentless pursuit of perfection. We discuss why he decided to write the book, what the interview process was like, how he chose to specific people, and what he learned from the interviews. We discuss what is talent, what is a champion, and I share several great quotes from the book. But before we go on, a quick little bit of housekeeping. Firstly, thank you so much for listening. And if you are enjoying the show, you'd be doing a massive favor if you could just share it on your social platforms. Or you can support the show's partners, Form, Hyperice, and Athletic Greens. They're all great companies with fantastic products. I hope you enjoy part one. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. A quick mention of the show's partners. These are all great companies and products that I use daily. If you want to support the show, you'd be doing me a massive favor by supporting these brands. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice. Hyperice is my go-to solution for recovery and restoration. The handheld percussion therapy devices, the Normatec boots, and the vibrating rollers all release your deepest muscle tension and just aid your recovery. I own the Hypervolt Plus, I own the Hypervolt Go, the Normatec boots, and the vibrating rollers. And both my wife, Laura, and I use them every day before and after workouts and before bed. They're all just so easy to use at home. They're, they're quiet, easy to charge, and have ready at any time. I encourage you to look after your body. Honestly, it's the only thing you get to keep for all of your life. All these Hyperize products are just simply brilliant. Get 10% off all Hyperize products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show code, GREG21, at checkout. Go to hyperize.com, that's hyperize.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG21 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by my longtime partner, an amazing company and brilliant product, Athletic Greens. I'm using Athletic Greens every day. Great taste, so quick and ready to go. Athletic Greens is a delicious blend of 75 superfoods and vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and a greens blend and more to support gut health, energy, and immunity and stress. I've also been doubling down on Athletic Greens vitamin D, a huge portion of the population of vitamin D deficient, myself included. And right now, Athletic Greens will give you a year's supply of vitamin D for free and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Do yourself a favor and sign up. It makes a great gift for a family member or a friend. So sign up now and get a free year of supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This episode is brought to you by Form. In my opinion, Form Smart Swim Goggles are the biggest thing to hit the swimming world. With Form Smart Swim Goggles, you can see all your key metrics while you're swimming, distance, your pace, stroke rate, and heart rate. The swim data is displayed on the goggle lens, and you can customize the display to see the key metrics that you want to see. I couldn't believe it when I first tried them. They fit like normal, comfortable goggles, and the display is there, but it's not in the way. I consciously look at the lens to see my stroke rate 
and my pace and my heart rate and distance. If you're a pool swimmer or an open water swimmer, I encourage you to check these goggles out. Please go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. Again, that is formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off the Form Smart Swim goggles at checkout or use code Greg2021 at checkout. All right, today I have a very special return guest. He's arguably the greatest triathlete of all time. He is the undisputed greatest Olympic triathlete in history with gold in London and Rio Olympic Games. His world and Olympic titles are remarkable, but it has been his ability to lift the sport to new heights and have every athlete in the world chasing that has truly set him apart. It has been this dominance that has me in awe of this extraordinary athlete. He was last on the show in episode 15. If you haven't listened to that episode, I'd encourage you to go check it out. It's an enormous privilege to have a good mate, champion athlete, and an exceptional author back on the show. So welcome and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Alistair Brownlee, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm uh, very well, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. All right. Yeah, mate, did I see that you've just had a, an ankle operation? Uh, did you do go through that? Yeah, I did. Um, I had it uh, seven days ago now. Um, and so I'm sat here as we speak with my ankle raised. Because um, it's swollen and a bit bloody, um, but I, I actually got the um, bandages off the other day, and yeah, fortunately, the the wounds are looking good and stuff, and uh, I can actually weight bear and walk around on it now, which is so much better than uh, having a fully like mummified ankle. Wow, is that the same one that you had the Achilles with uh, issues with, or is it the other other? <laughs> I've had Achilles issues on both of them, unfortunately. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, but basically, yeah, most of my body has had some kind of issue now at some point. But yeah, this is the ankle. I, I had an operation on it um, six years ago now. And um, yeah, it turned out that it, it was basically, even though I hadn't had a single issue actually with this ankle in any of those six years, it, it's been really good. Um, it's not actually the Achilles, it's the other tendons. Um in the posterior ankle there there's three of them and they get for some reason get scarred up um and they get adhesions and i get loads of scar tissue in there and i've the surgeons doctors basically think there's been a build-up of um scar tissue there over the last six years and i was saying well i've had no symptoms no symptoms until about three months ago where i had a lot of symptoms very quickly um and so it didn't seem to quite make sense to me but apparently yeah, without a lot of what I could have done about it, it's just issues build up over time and you get to the point where um, that scarring builds up to the point where it restricts some kind of movement on a on a tendon um, and then, then you start feeling symptoms and, and you get pain and yeah, unfortunately that happened about three months ago. <laughs> Oh, mate. Well, I'm sorry to hear that it happened sort of at this this time, although we, we are going to get to your book, but there was one Chinese parable that you have in your book and um, and I really loved that because I think it was a great way to look at life. And, and basically it was, I'm going to get it all wrong because I don't have it in front of me, but a, a, a Chinese farm that was very poor um, had one horse and it was him and his son and the horse escapes and comes back with a multitude of wild horses and everybody in the village says, oh, good luck. Well, they said bad luck for losing the horse and then good luck for, you know, that you got all the horses back. And, and then his son broke his ankle or leg riding one of the wild horses and they said, oh, that's bad luck. But then there was a war broke out and they said, you know, and his son couldn't go to war and they said, oh, that's good luck. And it's kind of like this, I look at you <clears throat> throughout your career, the, you've had these good moments and you've had these bad moments. And, uh, but I think there's always big things to come. Is that how you're looking at this? 
Yeah, well, actually, in two ways. Um, well, three ways. The, the first way is uh, I, um, I I know that I actually couldn't have done anything differently, and I take a lot of solace in that. You know, I was mm-hmm. um, looking after myself as well as I could. I was, I was training as effectively as I could. I was had the best t- team around me uh, I've ever had in terms of um, looking after things and um medical support um so i really feel i couldn't have done anything differently the, the second way is uh i've had a decent amount of luck in the past uh, and mm-hmm. you know it'd be silly to sit here saying um i would change anything um having won the olympics twice because uh, for sure anything that potentially would have changed those outcomes would be ridiculous um and the, the third thing is uh, yeah right now i'm very thankful for all that and the third thing is yeah you know these things happen and um in a in a sporting career obviously it's a cliche but you have your ups and downs and i'm mm-hmm. looking forward to um getting over this and just doing what i love which is training and training hard and competing well it's a good mindset to have and <clears throat> look today i want to discuss your book relentless secrets of a sporting elite um and then i want to discuss you know the olympics and your predictions and how you feel about them and and the sport as a whole um <clears throat> there's a lot to cover and but i want to start with your book relentless um firstly huge congratulations I, as i said to you pre-show I, i've rarely read a book in two and a half days little less with a, a one and a three-year-old running around um but your book just had me enthralled from the very first page to the very end. So just a massive congratulations on pulling it all together. It's just simply brilliant. Um, when is it release? When does it come out? Well, firstly, um, thank you very much. It's great to hear. Uh, yeah, an awful lot of effort went into that book and um, mm. some late nights along the way. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's released. Um, you can pre-order it now on Amazon uh, and it'll be released uh, on actually the 5th of July, uh, but then you can buy it from um, most good bookshops. It's what we say in Britain. I don't know if that applies to listeners all over <laughs> the world, but uh, hopefully. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Well, this episode's coming out July 5th, so it's out today, everybody. Um, no more pre-ordering. Once you hear this, you can go go grab it. And I've got to tell you, it's worth the read. Um, I can just tell it was a lot of work. Um what actually surprised me and blew me away, and I don't mean this to sound um, condescending, or <laughs> I was amazed how well you write. Um, from the introduction, you, you you had me. It was this, uh, the way, I think there's the way you write, but it's also the way your mind works, which is very much in what this podcast is a lot about, um, trying to understand how the greats work. Um, I guess let's start with, you know, why did you decide to write the book? What was the inkling? Yeah, well, thank you uh, for the uh, compliment on my writing. Um, it was a combination of I, I got, uh, you know, a lot of help from a, a co-writer, um, not a ghostwriter, but, a, you know, a co-writer. And I got a lot of help from Duncan, both in terms of the writing, but also learning, learning I guess, a style um, and writing something actually I've always really loved apart from when I was at school but uh, since then I picked up a, an enjoyment of it and uh, yeah and just a way of articulating and getting down thoughts and, and beliefs and opinions um, so yeah it's and it's something I worked on hard um, 
and yeah that, that you know that's i based it quite a lot on um something i'd like to read at the end of the day um and try not to be guided too much by uh you know what i thought should be written um and i think the yeah the other thing is it adapted it was like a it was a bit of a process right from the start which is where i wanted to uh, write the book just because you know i thought it was a it was a good idea um obviously i took got a bit of um uh, asked a few people and other people thought it was a good idea worth doing um and and, and then a publisher was interested and and so started a, about the process um right but i also wanted to write the book because i wanted to learn about writing a book um i, I write all sorts of things all the time but um I wanted to actually learn about writing a book and it's something I, I want to do more of for sure. And I'm already thinking about the next one. So that, mm. that's the second reason that it, it gave me an op. It, it gave me this fantastic opportunity to go and explore a subject that I'm absolutely fascinated in, which is the workings and minds of uh, people who perform on the highest level continuously over a long period of time gave me the opportunity and excuse to go seek these people out and have those conversations. And um, like I talk about in the book, some of those conversations happened in the most, actually, although there was a book there, but in the most naturally uh, brilliant, fascinating environment. Like when I went and sat down um, with the snooker legend, Ronnie O'Sullivan, while his mum cooked his dinner in, 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 and we sat down in his kitchen and just talked about his career, performance, and, and life over his uh, mum's lasagna. I, I think that's what I loved about the book. There was this real, you were talking to these incredible human beings all around the world, um, sometimes in person, sometimes the struggles of trying to do it remotely. Um, but you talk about that. There's this, you know, when Mark Webber's flying in on his helicopter and the way you describe that and then he comes in and, you know, you guys are just hanging out, having a glass of water each. Um, but you, you get the feeling that you're there um, and you're a part of the conversation. And that's that's a gift in itself that I think you've created there that, you know, and even the the burden of trying to just lock down, a you know, an Ian Thelp across the world and trying to get your time slots right and stuff. I really enjoyed that kind of behind the scenes of trying to get these interviews together. I thought that was a really one fun way that you put it all together. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, so my first idea for the book was a really kind of structured um, process of each chapter would be around you know, the things that we all probably think are kind of important mm. for performance, um, motivation, conviction, inspiration, uh, obsessiveness, and of each of those chapters, the, the kind of outline plan was a little anecdote from me. Um, I'd go out and talk to people, get various opinions, uh, actually including more, a bit more hardcore science and then wrap it up into some kind of interesting take-home at the end. But as I started writing it and putting it together, I completely changed my mind away from that because I enjoyed so much uh, writing about the experience of the interviews and um, exactly the thing with Ronnie, um, the experience of there's a, a cyclist daughter called Beryl Burton that you'll have to um, read the book more to find out about. Uh, oh. Probably the most impressive athlete you've never heard of. Um, she's unfortunately passed away now, but I went for a bike ride with her daughter on a bike uh, pathway named after her. And just those, those kind of insights um, and, and the personal stuff was the bits that 
I actually really enjoyed writing about. Um, and so yeah, the, the kind of structure for the book completely changed about halfway through. <laughs> I, I think that was almost, I would say, out of out of the book, that was almost the most special feature, the the human side of it all. That you really humanized these people, these people that we we tend to put on massive pedestals and, and you know, rightly so for many of them. They, they've done extraordinary things. But I think it was this, you know, this sitting down and having a cup of tea um, with, with these fantastic footballers and, and all of these people. And I loved him. One of them um, it was uh, the football, what was his name? Um, not Dennis Irwin. Dennis Irwin, yeah. excuse me, yeah. And you guys were sitting down in a coffee shop in a in a shopping mall and uh, one of the kids came up and, asked you for an autograph or, or whatever, wanted to talk to you. And, and here you're sitting with this legend you know, mm. in the football and, and you felt a little bit embarrassed, but he was okay with it. And it was this, this real, I enjoyed that. It was kind of like how you felt and he felt and these two rock star athletes and, and uh, you know, but he was just a generation older and, you know, so the kid didn't know him. And uh, I, I love that kind of feeling. And I, I love some of the quotes, uh, you know, I said in the introduction, you say, I'm not trying to break the sporting equivalent of the magician's code here. I simply have an inkling that just maybe others at the top, others at the top of their sport might be more human than we think. And that to me is what this humanizing of these incredible athletes really was all about. Um, How many years did it take you to get, pull all this together? (laughs) Too many Um, (laughs) is a short answer. Uh, I I started the project in uh, the idea and it started coming together at the back end of 2017 the very end of 2017 um Mm. and kind of slow start um but it was actually ready to go uh pretty much in early uh 2020 um january 2020 signed off for the first time uh after like any big project um somewhat of a rush to finish it even though it had all that time to do it, I think the last the last three chapters were done in the last month or so. But um, yeah, then obviously um, COVID got in the way. I, I actually was um, really keen to get it out as during COVID, I didn't have a lot else to do apart from go for a bike ride in the sun and read a book. So I thought it'd be a fantastic opportunity to get a book out. Um, the publisher just said, hold your nerve and uh, bring it out next year. And I just, as I played around with it and thought a bit more, then I actually added a chapter to it. And for a few reasons, an opportunity came up to speak to a few more people uh, that I was interested in speaking to. But at the same time, um, I wanted to kind of put COVID in context a bit. And obviously with moving around to sporting events and COVID. And um, so, yeah, I, I added a, a chapter on there at the end with um, three interesting people Uh and yeah, so then it was um, ready to go in early in the year after lots of, lots of processes of uh, backwards and, and forwards over the months to try and make sure there's no mistakes in it and, and inaccuracies. Um, and then actually in the, in the last few weeks, I've been narrating the audiobook myself, which was, um, when I, well, yeah, when I, when I first heard it, I, I thought, no, no one wants me doing, no one wants to hear me speak for hours and I'm just going to put everyone to sleep. And the, the publisher said, no, 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 it always works so much better when, you know, the author reads his own audiobooks. I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. How hard can it be reading a book, you know, that you've written? Um, went in for the first session three hours later. Well, actually, you know, I haven't even got through the first line and I'm being asked to repeat it two or three times. And I'm thinking, this this is 
this is going to be a long, a long uh, 14 chapters and 100 odd thousand words. And mm-hmm. yeah, two, uh, three hours later, I've done um, less than two chapters out of 14. I'm thinking, yeah, this is going to be a long job. Uh, mm-hmm. But thankfully, I, well, I feel, I, got, I feel like I got better. I feel like I got a bit faster and I articulated a bit better. I realized how badly I spoke and how lazy my reading and reading and articulation was. Uh, but yeah, I hope, uh, I did get better. I get, did get speed up and, um, yeah, it will be interesting when people listen to it to see if they can, uh, hear the difference between me at the start of the book and the end of the book. Well, I agree with your publisher. I think it's fantastic that you've done it. Um, you know, when I, when I reached out to you for this show, I said, oh, can you send me the audio book? <laughs> cause I knew you'd just done it. You put it on Instagram. I'm like, can you send me that? Cause I don't know, you know, I'm not sure I can find time to read, you know, with the kids, but I can go, you know, for my run walk each morning and, and, and get it done. But, um, I ended up reading it all on the PDF file you, you sent me on the computer, which it's not my favorite way to digest mm-hmm. a book. But, um, like I said, at the top of the show, it was, uh, it was so enthralling that I, I, you know, for two to three hours in the morning between sort of four and seven, when I get up, I just read and read and read and just loved every bit of it. How, how did you choose the specific guests for the book? And, and and were there any that you kind of missed that you would have loved to have had? I mean, you, 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 you've got cricketers, footballers, swimming, bike, running, you've got jockeys, which was fascinating, um, golf, Formula One, kayakers, all of that. Was there any, I mean, how did you choose? And then how did you, you know, did you miss any? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, uh, I mean, I know it's very Anglo-centric. It's, it's very based around people, obviously, that I could contact relatively easy. I was, mm-hmm. I had a list of people that I would have loved to have spoken to. Um, and I had on that list, there was people that I could contact relatively easily and, and others that I couldn't. I was really aware that I was asking for people's time at the end of the day uh, mm-hmm. and didn't want to abuse that in any way. And you know, I was asking for a favor, basically for my own good. Um, and so, yeah, some people were absolutely fantastic and came but absolutely, you know, I'd love to help and, uh, get on board and other people. Yeah. You know, I under now for a little bit and maybe we got there, maybe we didn't. Um, and I didn't push anyone or I hope I didn't push anyone on it, but, uh, yeah, that was the kind of way I went about it. So I started off with a long list and, and it got shorter. Um, I think the other thing is initially I would have loved to have traveled more to actually mm. uh, mm. do it face to face. I would have, uh, for example, loved to have traveled to Norway to run with Killian Jornet uh, and do, uh, and, you know, and be able to experience that for myself. Also write about it, obviously life and, you know, kind of trying to get the schedules together of two, uh, <laughs> of two athletes, um, and then especially as the pandemic started coming along was super difficult. So, um, that, that was the main thing, um, I would have liked to have done more of. Um, but yeah, um, the people I did get to speak to, I'm very, very grateful for. And, um, yeah, I think it's relatively diverse bunch of people I would have liked on you know, reflection for it to be a bit more diverse in a number of ways. And, um, yeah, I think it is a nice balance, um, well, there's plenty more people out there I could talk to for for another one. <laughs> but but I think I think well yeah I think there's potential for like you said the next book which is maybe is going to be you going and spending a day with these people and and you know that's kind of what this podcast has been for me it's a it's a bit of the same kind of thing it's this I understand every time I reach out to somebody like yourself that you know I'm taking your time and and it's quite you know and I 
it's very hard, isn't it? Where's the line of where you're overstepping, but you know you're fascinated to to want to talk with these people, and and like you, I want to spend a day with these athletes and then have a you know a beer with them in the evening and record a, a show. That's you know, so maybe you and I can tee something up together, yeah, going forward. But I mean, you 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 have in your book, you have old school athletes, you have new school, you have endurance athletes, you have power sprint athletes, you have ball sport you, you really do you did a great job of diversifying um you know i love when you have someone like an ian bothan cricketer you know beefy and anybody doesn't know cricket which i'm, I'm sure there's plenty of you in the u.s mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he, he was an outstanding all-round english cricketer during the time when england were rubbish at everything yeah. <laughs> i don't mean that to be too condescending but there was a period yeah. where yeah. if you weren't beating england or britain you know you were kind of sucking at sport and now britain is leading the world in so many so many areas um but ian botham was just this i loved it in the book he's just this old school guy going on i don't believe in psychology and then he goes on talking about how he you know visualizes and i mean i i, I think it's great but I, I thought it was fascinating and then you have sort of the new school cricketers and um, and the way Alistair Cook, you know, the greatest English um, batsman, I, I enjoyed that comparison. That uh, looking at the old school and new school. Yeah, I mean that was done um, on purpose, as it possibly could have been in terms of uh, putting those two together. Mm. Um, absolute uh, antagonists of you know each other's philosophy, uh, <laughs> as you put it, old school and new school. Um, and yeah, that was brilliant. I mean, that was part of the super interesting thing for me. I've I've met them both at various events over over the years and, and know them pretty well. Um, with Beefy, yeah, I know him and his family a bit, and went to sit his, at his house, which is in a gorgeous place, um, actually mm. not that far from where I live. And um, we sat outside in the garden, and yeah, just sat and and had a few drinks as we chatted through, and yeah. You'll know um, the skill. You know, interviewing is a is a skill and one that I had to learn very quickly. There's lots of difficulties. Um, I think especially face to face, actually, because you're trying to have that conversation and it's hard to make notes and look at things while you're having that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, Ian Botham, it wasn't really so much of an interview. We we sat down and it was um, this is what I want to tell you about. Um, and it was yeah it, yeah it, it was fantastic in its own way because that's what you know you want people to tell you what they want to tell you and just set off and um yeah it, it, it was a, a great couple of hours of my life just just listening of a to me and and you know not some people might say this disrespectfully but i'm, I'm definitely not but listening about a, a completely as you said another era in sport um one that I know very little about, really, because it happened before before I was born or when I was very young. So, um, but yeah, I, I I just really enjoyed listening. That, that's brilliant, and I think that's uh, some of those experiences that you'll take away from the book, whether you sell a million copies or not. It's it's like you got to do this. You actually got to have the gift of your gold medals and the gift of your status is that you've you open open the door to be able to have these conversations with these remarkable human beings and and that's that's really special a quick mini break to remind you of the show's incredible partners you can get 10 percent off all hyperice products using the exclusive greg bennett show discount code greg 21 at checkout go to hyperice.com and use code greg 21 
A quick reminder to do yourself a favor and sign up to Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens also makes a great gift for any family member or friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. If you want to see all your key metrics like pace, distance, stroke rate, and heart rate while you swim, you need the Form Smart Swim Goggles. Go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. That's formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off or you can use code GREG2021 at checkout. Is there anything that you know you when you reflect back um, that you learnt from these people um, that maybe you didn't know going in? Is there, is there anything that kind of stood out to you? I think um, so. Firstly, like you you said at the start, there's quite a lot of things when you go through a process like this that you might already know, but just having them reiterated and highlighted to you, or you might maybe not know. You know, you know somewhere subconsciously, intrinsically. You know, things like um, the genius label is often a bit defamatory, mm. and and, and um, Ronnie puts that best. But almost everyone I talked to in some way or another said that um brilliance label or as it was for ronnie ronnie sullivan the snooker player genius label um is a bit disrespectful of all the hard work and um and everything i put into my sport and my craft um so hearing that from people who i think are superhuman um have achieved performances and sort of way above what i've achieved was was um was brilliant um i think hearing that Everyone, you know, every single one of those people in one way or another had their own uh, fallibilities. Um, they, you know, they weren't infallible. They had their own worries. They had their ups and downs. They had their good days and bad days. They had their worries on the start line. Um, I didn't always put that stuff in, but it was always present. Um, maybe apart from Ian Botham, actually, he um, had the ultimate confidence and conviction <laughs> in everything he did, which, which was phenomenal to hear about in its own way. Um, yeah, what, one of the, my quotes that I think I really loved was one of his um, was, uh, uh, you ride the torpedo to the end of the tube, um, which I took to mean, yeah, once you go down a route, you, you go down it with absolute conviction, which is something I strongly believe in as well. You know, actually it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You make a decision and then you... Um, commit to that decision and the success of the decision kind of delay um relies not necessarily on the decision necessarily on the decision at that point but um how your commitment and conviction to that decision is important um and yeah that, that's kind of one of the reasons why I, what i took from that um quote many people might take many other things um so that um i i absolutely uh, love spending time with um uh, the um, the jockeys, uh, a world that I'll happily admit oh. I knew very little about, um, but just the amount that they effectively race, um, what they go through, you know, where we talk about maybe tens of races at the most in a year, jockeys are talking about that in a week, if not a few days, a bank holiday weekend, um, and that you count wins of these big guys in the in the thousands, uh, and you count. You, they lose a lot more than they win. So even AP McCoy, the most successful jockey um, ever, uh, who won a championship jockey title, which is best jockey for 20 years in a row, 20 years, 
um, thousands, four and a half thousand of, or more, um, I can't remember the exact number, but wins you end up in, but you end up with way more losses, obviously, um, and a lot of falls and a lot of broken bones uh, and a lot of horrific injuries. Um, and he told me that, it, yeah, ultimately it was about kind of sacrifices, being super selfish, but more than anything, being really level-headed, like you don't celebrate your victories too much and you don't get too upset by your losses and you just move on to the next race, which in the jockey's case is later that day and then you've got three tomorrow. So, yeah, you know, just a, an amazing perspective. Um, and, yeah, another thing with Killian Jornet, which I, I, I like, he had a few great perspectives. He, he speaks really humbly about actually um, sport is ultimately trying to beat other people for our own self-gratification and it's not that important and you know he um puts that in context of what he does in, in climbing mountains and, and seeing the natural world around him but i was really trying to decision making and how we make effective decisions is something that really fascinates me under pressure at, at the right time mm. and uh, so i was really interested to ask him you know how do you know you're making the correct decisions when it's life and death and you're um, psychologically impaired at 8,000 meters of altitude due to low oxygen. And he, he has this great line of saying, um, well, effectively at that point, all I can do is make it really binary. I, I mm-hmm. ask myself, is it yes or no? It, is continuing up here going to kill me? Um, if the answer is no, you keep going. And you just think, yeah, <laughs> yeah. just the perspective really of um, – a triathlon decision of should I take water at the next uh, aid station or maybe should I attack at this point of the bike? He just kind of puts it in perspective a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I found him fascinating. Um, and actually, there's a quote. Uh, let me see if I have it here because it's yeah, it's on perspective a bit. The Killian Jornet, and he says, um, uh, "Where is it here?" Um, I don't think what I do, what we do, is anything important. He tells me quietly, it's imp- it, it's sport. So in many ways, it's it's a game, and we are doing something that is very selfish. It's for the emotion at the end. It's nothing productive. We are not like teachers that are forming a new generation of people or doctors helping people live. And what I loved about that is here he is being probably one of the greatest ultra you know endurance athletes on the planet, um, going around hitting every fastest known time out there, two times Everest in a week. Um, blew my mind but he's very down to earth he's celebrates the journey and the the process um far more than the destination more than any other athlete i think i've ever heard from so i i really enjoyed his perspective on it all um and the jockeys i think one of my favorite parts of the whole book was reading about these jockeys and just being like oh my gosh how many broken bones and they're talking about the only sport in the world where two ambulances follow right behind (laughs) and uh and then you sum it up going, I think I'm going to go delete every post on my social media where I've complained about a sprained ankle <laughs> or, or a broken toe because these guys, you listed out in the book every broken bone and, and, they, and they talk about, I think it was AP McCoy and he, he said, look, I'm lying there, you know, broken bones on the ground and going, yeah, it was probably about a matter of time because it has been a little while since I last fell and really hurt myself. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, just fascinating stuff. And and then the final thing, which you touched on at the beginning there, um, genius or, or talent um, being labeled and, and how that is almost disrespectful. And, and it was nearly everybody there. And I think that becomes, we have to ask the question, what is talent? You know, what is 
be a genius. And, and that got me really thinking about it because I think we think of talent as a physiological or physical sense. But, you know, I think the the sports science out there is starting to delve what's between the ears more. And, and your book really dived into that about is talent, is the genius actually between the ears and the ability to handle more suffering or be able to to do more or uh, it, would you say that was kind of one of the big takeaways as well yeah um i've as i'm sure you have and uh, many listeners have had this debate about is talent important what is talent um how do you see talent um many times uh, on bike rides and in the pub and it's something that um, fascinates me and ultimately I, there was actually probably a bit more science uh, that started off in some of the early kind of ideas and notes on the book uh, and I didn't put it in um, to make it more readable uh, and just because at the end yeah I just thought it, it actually didn't work that well in context but it's something that I would actually like to write a lot more about in, in the future um, but yeah we could do a podcast on its own about what we think talent is and um, Ultimately, it's a, it is, I think, a, a combination of the um, physical and the psychological, the environmental factors and, and um, the non-environmental factors, you know, your genes. Um, the, I think the really interesting question is uh, what where the significance lies and what percentage of makeup each is and is that different in different people? Um, mm. We all got ways of maximizing things that are different, um, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, that, that is a an enormous topic in its own right well well, i think the book left me asking you know that question what is talent but also what is a champion and what is success Uh, and with all the varying personalities uh that you interviewed you know there were some people that were just incredibly ruthless and relentless um uh, what was the lady's name we were talking about uh with beryl (laughs) you you leave that one just go wow you know she wouldn't let her own daughter hop in the car to go to nationals she had to ride there just that kind of it's one thing to have sibling rivalry like you do with with johnny but i was like what (laughs) uh but there's this there's this you you talk about you know some of them are obsessed and addicted um some of them less so some of them having were more humble but still had tremendous work ethic and passion and dedication and just desire and mutual respect for the competitors. Um, but it, but it left me kind of going, what is a champion? I mean, is it somebody that just wins all the time or is it somebody that the way they play the game? And, and I think Mark Webber, the formula one driver stood out for me on that. I, I think you and I both are good friends with Mark and, I think he probably could have had more world titles and things, but I think he was a, a great sportsman. I think he he respected the others and he respected the game, but he would never do anything beyond um, beyond beyond that. I think. And and did you find that a bit the same? There's a kind of a mix of personalities there. Yeah, and um, that's kind of particularly the line of questioning um, I went down with Mark, just because. Yeah, it obviously his career and um, it's interesting, and obviously some of the really famous moments of his career are clashing with teammates uh, and potentially, you know, letting that letting that go. I I think when I was listening to the question there, I think you used two words, and one was sportsman, and the other was champion, and um, 
I think I would potentially define those in slightly different ways. Um, that's not to say other people have to. Um, I, I would probably define that. And yeah, we, we already, most of us define sportsmen in some shape or form. We say sportsmanship, conduct and behavior. And, and that's kind of the context I've put sportsman like in it. Um, I would have champion as a slightly more hard edged um, to it as someone who was, who won more. Um, but yeah, that would be my definitions. And um, yeah, I think it's different for different people. No, I, I, it really just got me thinking about, I mean, we, we tend to put our, you know, champion athletes on pedestals and basically we think, okay, they're, they're very, very good at doing one thing very, very well. Um, but I think we, we make the mistake in society going, well, hang on, we put them on this pedestal that this is the way that you should live your life. And it's like, well, that's not exactly true. You know, it, it, and it is hard for an athlete to be at the top of the world and be a good person and do, you know, lead by example and blah, 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 and be a role model for the kids. And, you know, I think of people like a Michael Phelps here in the US, you know, and the greatest probably Olympian in history. And immediately we would put him on a pedestal that he's meant to be how we all want to, you know, have our kids aspire to. And then he gets a DUI and he gets caught, you know, smoking pot and all of a sudden it's like, hang on, what's, and, and they tear him down. And I think we, we, we can make this mistake by putting these people that have been absolutely obsessed to do one thing very, very well and expect them to be all around great human beings. Um, do you, do you think you found that with the people that you've, you've met? Are they great human beings? Most of them, or have you found them a little bit on that addictive, obsessed, selfish, ruthless type people? Uh, I think it depends who, how you define um, great human beings. Um, uh, yeah, I think you're <laughs> very right. In, in the way of uh, it, it, to reaching the top of you if you sport, you have to have a lot of those attributes, selfishness, uh, obsession, drive, um, that might make you not great human beings um, in, in lots of other walks of, of life uh, in terms of being compassionate and empathetic etc cetera, etc cetera, um which i think is how you're setting it out but uh i i just think yeah i think firstly um it is a function of the world that um yeah you might be really good uh, at one thing um and it's you you've put into the public spotlight um and i and i always saw that yeah i i never did triathlon to be rich and or famous as a uh, 12 year old i was training very hard and i certainly wasn't doing triathlon to be rich and or famous um that that wasn't something that would have factored into any someone's uh someone's psyche at the time um mm. and yet it became you know uh, around after the olympics that all of a sudden people in the street are you know recognizing you and it's this crazy situation that you you never thought would happen um I, you could look at that in many ways. My opinion on it was, well, yeah, firstly, um, that gives me a, a real responsibility uh, it, and, uh, and an opportunity. Um, and that responsibility is uh, I've, I can inspire people and young people to, be ex- to exercise and be active and maybe get what I've got out of sport, which is fantastic. And obviously the opportunity around being commercial and, and getting sponsors and stuff as well. And I think there's a lot to be said. Um, 
knowing what arena you're in and being a different person in those arenas and um yeah in, in the sporting arena to try and win to be ruthless to the right extent and um to be competitive um and obsessive and to do all those things that to try and be a good sports person but the same you know there's plenty of room in life outside that to try and um be a human being in different ways and um that's what i've tried to do in in uh, setting up a charity i Johnny and I knew after 2012 getting asked to go into every single school in the country um, and inspire kids all over, up and down the UK, and that's fantastic. And we realised we had this not only opportunity but massive responsibility to do it, and that's what we tried to do through the foundation, which has taken up loads of time, effort, energy, um, and in various other ways. So, yeah, I think there's there's room for us all as human beings. I think most of us know that we you know you can act differently at work as you do with your family and friends and various kind of compartments i guess um and i think that's the case for uh, for a lot of athletes i think you put it right just there i think the the ability to compartmentalize um the various areas of your life and some people do it better than others mm-hmm. um and you know i think there's many of these athletes uh that that i talk to or that are in your book that struggle uh, with the compartmentalizing, you know, and, and it spills over outside into, into their life. But I love how you do it. There's a quote that I, I want to read out to you that I enjoyed, um, in the book. And it was, uh, I guess it's talking about being ruthless. Um, and, and we mentioned Beryl Burton, uh, at the top of the show, but this is with your brother, Johnny at the, uh, Rio Olympics with a couple of kilometers remaining. And, uh, you were neck and neck and you were head of the field. And this is what the book says. It says, Johnny was first to break the silence. Relax, he said, between deep intakes of breath, my ears pricked up. It was just one word, but knowing him as I do, it was far more than that. It was a tell. He was struggling. Go, 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 something inside me screamed, and I did, cranking up the pace, kicking on and embracing the agony because whatever hell I was suffering, I knew with certainty of a thousand training runs that Johnny was feeling it just that little bit more. We're brothers. We've trained together for years. He's been instrumental in getting me to where I am today. Without our rivalry, I'd be half the athlete. Yet here I was, preying on his weakness. Do I regret it? Not at all. I like to think he'd have done the same. And that's the ruth- ruthlessness I believe is essential component in all, comp- in all champions in the arena of competition just as importantly in their daily life too. I mean, that was, I love that because you painted a really good illustration of the importance of this is what we're here to do and it's all in. And, and that one word when he said relax, it was like, huh, <laughs> he's in trouble. <laughs> I enjoyed that part. So well done. There's so many great little moments and captions in that. And, and when I listened to the book, um, not listen, I mean, I read the book, I ended up taking 20 pages of notes. Um, it was just that, that much. Um, but some of the great quotes that really jumped out, um, and I'm sorry if I'm rambling on a little bit here, but you know, you can probably tell me a little bit more, but there's one where it talks about self-belief with Michael Owens, the incredible footballer for England and, and Liverpool. I remember when he jumped on the field at 17 and just an incredible soccer player for Australian and Americans. Um, I just read his quote here. He says, Genetically, we've all got what we're, we're given, you know. Some people have got a pair of, of big lungs, some loads of fast-twitch muscle fibres. You're born with that and you're not going to be able to change that. 
Not really. After that, you've got to make the absolute best of what you've been given, the decisions you make, what you do with that frame, your determination, how courageous you are. And that's all in the mind. It's all between the ears. So in my case, I had masses of power, real speed in short bursts. I was not good at long distance running. I was only five foot eight and 11 and a half stone, but I had a massive dollop of self-belief. That's what made me get better results than possibly I should have done. If you just looked at me as in a physical sense, if you typed ideal footballer into the computer, you'd probably come out with Christian, Cristiano Ronaldo. But what got me to the top of my game was that self-belief. Confidence versus self-belief. Confidence is fleeting, self-belief stays. That was a side note to that. What are, what are your thoughts when, when you hear that self-belief? Is that something that you feel like you, you've had your whole life? It's not just confidence, it's self-belief? Yeah, I think I have, um, and I'd never heard it explained um, like uh, Michael put it, and I really enjoyed that uh, articulation of it, that there's a a difference of um, self-belief and confidence, and it immediately made kind of a lot of um, sense to me, um, the way that confidence is is fleeting and comes and goes and is to an extent uh, a function of how good the last couple of weeks of training might have been or the last few sessions and, and self-belief was something much deeper um, and more ingrained in you. And I, yeah, I'd never heard it said like that. And I, I liked it. And um, yeah, I, I think that does say, just kind of explains quite a lot about the, the sporting world. Mm. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that. And then there was another one here where I've spoken a lot about it on this podcast where, you know, I'm a big believer in visualizing and the ability of, emotions uh you know hormones affecting emotions or vice versa and uh and and you interviewed uh anna hemmings who i hadn't heard of before but uh olympic kayaker and, and become a speaker and i i enjoyed this quote so there's a lot of work being done around this when we are all when we are in a positive state when we experience positive emotions not just positive thoughts but positive emotions we trigger the production of i'm going to get this word wrong Dehydropiandustrione, DHEA. Yeah. <laughs> I got that yeah. completely wrong. I have to say that in the uh, audio book. I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's in the adrenal glands. And it says this hormone is a, a performance enhancer. It generates energy and boosts the immune system. Where, whereas when we feel negative emotion, we're triggering cortisol, the so-called stress hormone. Frustration, anger, fear, and anxiety all release cortisol. And when cortisol levels are increased over a long period of time, there are a lot of health implications. So we're talking not just about performance, but health. I, I, I really feel like we're just tapping into this. I, I just, I think as human beings, we're, we're going a long way with the physical. Um, but throughout your book, uh, you talk a lot about the ability to train the brain to handle more and more suffering. Uh, I think Chris Froome talks a lot about that um and forgive me the the psychologist that in the book what was his name um there's a there's a, a, a professor lovely but i think um it's um it's actually a more of a physiologist is professor mccora who we talk about that's one, yeah, yes yeah. yes i really enjoyed his what he was saying a lot about that and, and i feel like we've only just touched scratching the surface on on the ability of the mind and the, the emotions and hormones and how that can impact performance do you step away from this book going, there's more I can do 
going forward in terms of, you know, visualizing or the way I affect, you know, your emotions uh, have a direct impact on your physiology? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot more I can do. And um, it's definitely something I've kind of realized over the last um, few years as I've tried to kind of maximize my performance of a, a more of an aging body, uh, mm. how, looking at how to maximize that and, and how to do that to the best of my ability. Um, and, and it's, I've experienced, I've kind of experimented with almost every, uh, innovation in some shape or form, um, that's probably happened over the last 10 years. Um, but, I, but at the same time, uh, I, I'm a, a massive advocate for, um, having, putting everything, having context around you, you know, really being able to understand, um, the, the science to its base level, understand what the statistics are telling you, understand what the your own anecdotal evidence around you, contextualizing all of that and trying to come up with a um, a solution or an attempt and, and then uh, constantly looking at it as you go along to try and gauge success or and that, mm. yeah and that that's something that has kind of always guided guided me a lot. Um, but I, I think the book in lots of ways opened my eyes to all kinds of new things and uh, new ways of going about things and new things to try um, and new insights to try and contextualize. Um, and some of that we were just talking about there. Mm. I, I want to wrap up uh, with the book I, with one last bit. And this was uh, from the Welsh rugby player, Shane Williams. And what I loved about this is I, I've been a big advocate of really focusing on your strengths Um and outsourcing your weaknesses when you can, uh, or mitigating your weaknesses, is uh, uh, Dan Eisenhart, the founder of Form Swim Goggles, was on the other week, and he said that's what the way they approach it, mitigating your weaknesses. And and he said, um, and Shane Williams, I loved him because he, you, you know, he's a small guy, but he still managed to have an incredible rugby career. And he said the pitfalls of working on weaknesses to the d- detriment of strengths, of becoming a strong all rounder, but average rather than a champion with some manageable flaws. Um, I, I, for me, that just summed up, you know, a great way that some of these champions have actually done it by they, they've really honed in and optimized their strengths. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed every, every part of the entire book. Um, I want to congratulate you again on it and, uh, everybody do yourself a favor and buy this book. Um, it's, it's definitely worth it. So, um, I want to move on with the show, if that's okay with you, um, unless there's anything else you want to discuss. No, that's great very much. Um, uh, hopefully we discussed enough to make people uh, interested and uh, interested enough to want to want to read what's in the rest of it. Oh, I, I, I think we've only scratched the surface, everybody. There's so much good stuff in there. I hope you enjoyed part one of this special edition with Alistair Brownlee. Please enjoy part two where Alistair discusses the Olympics, how the sport of triathlon has changed, his future, and we end with some really fun rapid-fire questions. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.